0: Thanks, Ron. Uh, this month, uh, for missions, um, every every month, beginning of the the month, we announce kind of like our missions focus um, for the month. And uh, this this month of December, we're just going to um, collect whatever you get for missions that will go to our uh, general missions fund of Open Bible to just kind of help out at the end of the year um, wherever is needed. Because um, end of the year is always kind of a hard time for um, a lot of missionaries and things. We don't. We just want to be able to help. Where is needed, best. I also want to encourage you guys that you know this time of month it's all about giving, and um, don't forget that you know it's also really nice to receive gifts and things. But there's a lot of people even in the Des Moines area that are homeless who don't even have um, shelter or a place to go. And so I, I would encourage you to carry some extra money or gift cards or something to be able to hand out to. Um, the homeless people, if you have, you know, if you want to make little, like, care bags um, with, you know, like, hand warmers and some food and um, gloves or things like that um, to hand out to them, that would be great, too. Um, because this is a responsibility of the church and something that, uh, that we should be concerned about and taking uh, care of. But really, you should go a step beyond that and maybe even invite them um, to dinner at your home or take them out with you somewhere. um them um, have a warm place to be for a while and um, fill them up with some good food and conversation. Um, Also, today we are not having our holiday dinner after service. If you missed that announcement, sorry guys. Um, Just with COVID stuff going on, we decided to um, put that off. We're going to postpone it actually until next year. So, um, (laughs) right? We'll just do two back to back. Um, And. also, um, here at Open Bible, or Westmore Open Bible, we um, take communion usually the first Sunday of every month, and we do it once a month like that. Today, we're actually be talking about communion. Um, starting next year, we're going to move to doing it the last Sunday of the month, but we've also been considering offering like a low-fat, gluten-free, maybe vegan, keto-friendly option. Um, I found it online. It's called I Can't Believe It's Not Jesus. Um, so, no, it's, But, you know, if there's something that concerns you, let me know. Um, But we're still in our series, The Core Truths, and we're just talking about um, kind of all those main truths to being a Christian, um, core beliefs of our denomination, of this church, and really things that each of us should know because it's central to the faith that we are living day to day. And today, we are going to discuss communion. Um, Our We Believe statement for today is that we believe in the partaking of the bread and the cup of communion and remembrance of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate an open communion for all believers, regardless of church affiliation. Communion is this tradition that we, um, has been in the church for years and years and years. It was actually started by Jesus himself doing what's called his Last Supper. Um, you guys may have heard of his Last Supper. It's when him and his disciples um, reserved a table for 26, but they all sat on the same side. Um, you've probably seen the painting, right? But this dinner, um, this is talked about in all four Gospels. It's a meal that took place during the Passover festival that Jews would have been celebrating at the time, and it was called the Passover meal, and it's still celebrated among Jews to this very day. Um, And so we're going to look kind of into some different pieces and parts of communion, and then how it applies, and how we um, should be observing it and partaking in it today. So we're going to look at uh, Matthew 26, 26 through 30, and see what happens. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body." Then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. For the, and then they sang a hymn and went to the mountain. I think there's really two important things to note in the background that will help us understand a little bit more about what was happening, um, kind of why, what they were observing in this Passover meal, and how it related to what Jesus was telling them. Um, You know, there's a purpose to this Passover meal. It wasn't just a a tradition that they did, but it was to remember what God had done to save his people many, many years, thousands of years before um, this day that Jesus was having a meal with his disciples. In the book of Exodus, chapter 12, we can read the story of the first Passover that happened. Um, this took place as the last plague that fell on Egypt before the Israelites were set free. You've probably heard of you know, Moses saying, let my people go, maybe watch the, the Prince of Egypt movie or even read the story in the Bible. That's when this Passover meal was instated, um, like became a part of the Jewish tradition. <laughs> because the last plague was the death of every firstborn son. God's people were directed to take this specific meal involving a lamb, or if they didn't have access to a lamb, a goat that they would sacrifice, and they would take the blood that day, and they would smear it on the doorposts of their home so that their house would be passed over and that their sons would not die. And then they were supposed to have this meal as a family involving the meat from that and, you know, cook things a specific way and they would celebrate this. And then it was told to them to continue to celebrate this every year to remember how God saved you and saved yourselves. And uh, like I said, it's still celebrated to this very day. This was the meal that they were eating on this last supper. And it it sounds kind of similar, right, to what happened to Jesus of of sacrificing and his blood, his sacrificial death and his blood covers you know, kind of our, our bodily houses, our temples, so that we would avoid death. Jesus also said that this communion, this um, act of, of drinking this juice, and eating this bread, was a sign of a new covenant. There are many covenants um, from God with man throughout the Bible. We're going to look at them um, kind of briefly and stuff, but the first covenant that we'll look at was founded in, in with Noah in Genesis 9. It says that God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with him, and your descendants, with all the animals that were with you on the boat. Yes, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you, and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you, and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, a rainbow will appear in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. And God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is a sign of the covenant. I'm confirming, confirming with all the creatures on earth. I feel like God wanted to be very clear with Noah that this was a covenant and that there was a sign that would remind him and remind them that God had made this covenant and would stay faithful. To Right, later on, God made another covenant with a man named Abraham, which was later be Abraham in Genesis 15. It says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants on my own, so one of my servants will be my heir." We need to take a quick pause and jump back a couple chapters to see why Abraham is asking this question um, and not you know, about not having an heir and, and having trouble trusting God. In Genesis 12, 1-3, Abraham had received this word from God. So the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through. So, you know, Abraham in Genesis 15, he's, he's questioning God's promise to him, and he said, your reward will be great. He's like, but God, didn't you promise me that I was going to be made into this great nation, that my family would bless all these people, and I don't even have a child yet? How is this going to happen? And God answers them in chapter, four, verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 4. It says, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. for you will have a son of your own, it will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted to him as righteous because of his faith. And the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you um, out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you the land as your possession. But Abram replied, O oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him to bring me three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon and a partridge in a pear tree, right? And uh, so Abraham presented all these things to him and killed them. He cut each animal down the middle, and he laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half, because I think that's important. Um, some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. So as the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they'll be oppressed as slaves for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given you this land, given this land to your descendants, all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land now occupied by all the ites. There's a lot of ites there. Um, so, but there's this thing that, that he does. He, he splits these animals in half and leaves them sitting there. This was actually something that they did as a tradition of that time to confirm covenants. It was like, you know, kind of like a blood brothers pact type of thing. That when they would make this covenant with a, a neighbor or somebody, they would split this animal and they would walk between it, um, going like, "Look, I, I've." I'm committed to this that even, like, I'm willing to sacrifice my animals for it and basically that you can cut me in half and do the same if I don't follow through with this. And God comes and he walks through this in this vision that Abraham has and confirms that covenant with it. The Lord confirmed the covenant through those, that sacrifice that he would inherit the large amount of land that was coming for him. But then in Genesis 17, a couple chapters later, it says he confirmed the covenant, even confirmed When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham fell down on the ground, and God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. You will no longer be Abraham, instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings among them. I'll confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant, and I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I'll give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants must have this continual responsibility. This is a covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. So, now through this act of circumcision, his family had been marked for this new covenant that he would grow into this large nation. You know, many years later, so, you know, God had told him in the midst of all that covenant about the time his nation, his family, would be enslaved in Egypt and that he would come and rescue them. And that's where the Passover meal. Starts and it's all wrapped up in these covenants. And um, here we find Moses after they come out of Egypt and they're set free in Exodus 19:5 through 6. There's another covenant that God's making with man. It says, "Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you'll be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And this is the message you must give to the people of Israel." Then Exodus 20 through 23. God is, is laying out some new commandments for them to follow, including the Ten Commandments. It's from right there in Exodus 20. And these things were to be obeyed if they wanted to keep this covenant with God. In Exodus 24, verse 7, it says, Then he took the book of the covenant, this is Moses, and he read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then at the very end of the book of the law, Deuteronomy 29, 12-13, you know, this is all the laws, but God's like, this is what I need you to follow, to be my people, to be with me. Moses is telling all the people this. He says, you are standing here today to enter the covenant of the Lord your God. The Lord is making this covenant, including the curses. By entering into the covenant today, he will establish you as his people and confirm that he is your God, just as he promised you. And as He swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Fast forward even more years, and God makes another covenant with David. And uh, this is just a lot of reading, so I'm actually going to skip some of these verses because it's just a lot. But so, David, um, through the prophet Nathan, God is making a covenant that from David would be kings established in his family line forever that actually leads us all the way back to Jesus. I love in verse 25 of. Uh, 2 Samuel 7 says, And now, O Lord your God, I am your servant. This is David. It says, Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. Right. so now, fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is here with his disciples. And they know all of these verses. They, they know all about these covenants. They know this, this idea of like, I have to follow the law completely to be able to be with God. And that's everything. Like every covenant that we read and everything that we see is just... God trying to take one step closer to being back to like how it was at the very beginning in the garden when every day he came down and he was with his people. Now here's Jesus sitting among these people who know all about this, who know it's impossible to keep the commandments and probably don't feel like they can be close to God. And Jesus is saying, this is a new covenant. This is the last covenant, this everlasting covenant that's going to be here forever. And they knew that this new covenant was coming at some point because the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31, verses 31-34, to 34, prophesy about this. It says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as much as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Right? They've been waiting, looking for this new covenant that would be different than all these old ones, these covenants that brought God closer, but meant more and more responsibility on them, which they could never do. Right? Have any of you guys ever just not followed the rules completely? You like In your life, you know, like Victoria was just was talking about being worshipped by we can it's impossible for us to really keep all of our promises. And so all these covenants that God was making had kind of a, a bad side tone that this is impossible for us to do. Right? Even the Pharisees who at you know this time of, of Jesus' time, they were trying to live every law, they had them study, they had them memorize, like all 300, 400 some laws, like down to like this is what I, I need to do to be able to be with God. And Jesus comes in and says, there's a new covenant. Pointing them towards what was about to happen to them, right? The author of Hebrews, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, gives quite the discourse on this new covenant versus the old covenant. Um, Hebrews 8 through 10 really is the main section of it, and um, you should read all those chapters. We're not going to read all of them today. But um, Hebrews 9 through 13, or 9, 13 through 26, we're going to look at because it's just a great picture of what the difference is. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised us. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that they had committed under the first covenant. Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that that person who made it it, is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who has made it is still alive, it cannot be put into effect. That is why even after the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people took blood of calves and goats along with water, and he sprinkled both the book of God's law and the people um, using branches and scarlet Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. In the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with something far better than the sacrifices from blood of animals. For Christ did not enter the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once and for all, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And Jesus is hes alluding to this at this last supper when he's telling them, you're going to need to remember this covenant. Here soon, my, my blood is going to be poured out, my body is going to be broken for you, and you need to remember that. Because for years and years and years, everything they've been taught, everything they saw was this, like, I'll never be able to be made pure I'm never going to be able to make right with God. There's this sacrifice of animals that have to happen every year and all this stuff. And God's like, no, you need to remember that my death is is the death that that covers you once and for all. Believe in me. And this new covenant is established in you. So why and how do we take communion? Well, just like Jesus said to do this in remembrance of what he's done for us. Luke 22, 19-20, it says, again, he took some bread He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took a cup of wine, and he said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Paul, in uh, the book of Corinthians, so he's running to this, this church. He's sharing with them what he's learned about communion. In chapter 11, verse 23 to 26, he says, For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces, and he said, This is my body, which is given for me. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. See Paul, who was not one of these original disciples. He wasn't there at the last supper. It was some time when he was spending his you know morning devotion or not whatever it was before Jesus. Jesus came and said to him basically the same thing. You know he didn't have the gospels to look at. Paul wasn't just quoting some scripture that existed. It didn't exist yet. Paul like this is how important it is to Jesus for us to remember this new covenant that he came to Paul and said like. This is what happened that night, and this is why you must remember to do it. We take communion to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us in the new covenant that we get to live in. But this is also something that was done in a group. I think it was to help each other remember the covenant as well. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that we only do it here once Sunday a month. And uh, lately, we've been using the little sealed cup and cracker of some sort. Um, You know, and, you know, as some part of service, we pass out the items, or you grab them when you come in. And we pray, and we, we, you know, take a small moment to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. And, um, you know, then we eat the cracker, and this cracker is not Jesus' body. We don't believe, like it doesn't become like flesh as you're eating it. That is a belief that's out there. We don't believe it, we believe it stays a cracker, um, and just represents. Also, I feel like a is a bad thing because Jesus wasn't white, but. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe we need whole grain crackers, Triscuits or something. But, um, but we eat this cracker as a representation to remember the body that was broken. And then we drink the juice to, to re- that represents blood. It's not blood. Okay, just FYI, we don't fill cups with blood that'd be weird. And uh, we don't think that it turns into blood when it enters your body or anything like that. It's just, again, a representation of what Jesus has done for you. And then when we take time remembering that he's going to come back for us, that we are saved. Remember all these things we talked about, salvation. That's why is for is to remember that we were saved. We, we've been saved the moment we put our faith in Jesus. Just like Abraham in that covenant, that he put his faith in Jesus and it was credited to him as righteous right then and then. And that is a reminder that every day we are continuing to be saved, that God still shows up, that he's the way maker, the promise keeper, the miracle worker, every day in our lives. And then we remember that Jesus is coming back for us, and that we will be saved somehow, however, it looks like in the end. He's still here for us, and he'll still be rooting for us. He's still crying out for us day after day, and he will come back and bring us back to him. Paul gives us a few more standards when he's talking to the church in Corinthians. In verse 27 through 31, it says, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread or drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and as some of you have even died. So it's a big deal, And 31 says, but if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. I believe communion is really this kind of supposed to be a time of introspection, even maybe sharing among each other where we've messed up and where we need God to come and um, reveal more of himself to us and helping out. It doesn't have to be anything big, but it's just like, have I been living like Jesus? Or remembering things that Jesus has done for me even though I don't always deserve it? You know, it doesn't have to be anything more than like, man, I'm sorry, God, give me the opportunity again to reflect you. And Paul continues in verse 33 and 34. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so that you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I like to cock to in snack time. Um, it's probably not appropriate, but... Yeah. Um, but it, I, I like pause here, like, the important thing of having this supper together, it was so much more than this little cracker, because this it wouldn't feed somebody, it wouldn't fill somebody up. But Paul is like, you know, if you're really hungry, eat at home and come and, and come have this meal and wait to have it in communion with other people having it in community. Communion is about eating and fellowshipping together. You know, I was really hoping um, to have a holiday dinner today, because actually I was hoping to practice what real communion should look like. As a family here together, and um, so I, I encourage you. You know, we can't meet in a small group, but maybe gather with another family or go with your family out to eat today. And as you, as you eat, take time to remember what Christ has done for you, because that's what it's about. Right? We, you may have noticed the last couple of months we changed it up and we've been doing it in small groups because I want that idea of community to be true. Because I think that's more important than eating a small cracker and drinking some juice. It wasn't about that. It's about reflecting and remembering Jesus together. You know, Jesus, when he put this into place, was having a dinner with his closest friends. Right? The original Passover meal that they were celebrating was a meal that had to be had with your family. You invited your whole family over into your house and you had this meal. And if you were a small family, it actually says to gather with another family or other people who don't have a family. It was never about this. Right? And I think this is a, a nice thing that churches do because we're we're trying. We're trying to do what we can because people don't make time to go get dinner together. People don't stay after church and fellowship and have a meal together. But that's really what it was about. To remember Jesus together. So today we are going to use these little sealed cups. Because the best we can do. But I want you to gather in a small group. And we've already read all the verses, so you don't need to read the verses today. You don't need to um, do that. But I do want you to to share in your group something that Jesus has done in your life something recent preferably you know so just a moment I want you to gather in a group take a moment from introspection Jesus where maybe have I not been living for you where is something else taking priority in my life you know get right with Jesus and then share something that Jesus has done for you with your group and then you know have the snack time right and uh just go ahead and eat and drink together. So go ahead and find your groups. We're going to put on some music quietly. And that's uh, time to share what Jesus has done. God, we're just uh, we're thankful for um, your sacrifice for us, God. And as we gather today, God, and uh, had our tiny, tiny meal together, God, I, I pray that you would help us to remember every time, that we, every time that we gather with other people, that we should take time to remember what you've done. God, I think you picked me up as something that we would always be doing, something we would always need. God, it wasn't about the the small cracker and juice during church, but about every time we sat as a family, every time we sit with our friends, that we would be reminded of what you've done, that we would take time to share about what you're doing in our lives. But I'm just so thankful, God, this week. I was just reminded of the fact that you're always working to... Show more of your love to me. To help me to love other people even more. God, you're always working for peace and um, really your best in the world, God. even among the mess, God, somewhere your hands are, are working and you're working to bring about more peace and, and more love in the earth, And I just thank you for the, the ultimate picture of love that you showed us. And I pray that you just be within us as we go out our day today and that you'll help us to have your eyes and your hands and feet, God, and be the love to the world that needs it. In your name we pray, amen. 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 be right back Jesus.